Welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories, a local podcast for local artists. Oh, hello everyone. The heating in my house is on fire tonight. And I feel like I'm a real hot mess, which nicely brings me on to my next guest. (laughs) I am so cringy sometimes, but I just could not give a flying fuck. So funny. Um, Honestly, this was such a great interview to do. I know that he's um, very introverted and a bit shy, but honestly, like, Simon was such a great um, guest, so full of knowledge and really intelligent, actually. Really, um, clearly a bit of a book nerd like myself, um, which I love because I like to meet people that are like me that read a lot of books because all I do is literally read books. Um, I bet he's got like a moon in Aquarius or something because like clearly like seeks knowledge and wisdom in some ways. Um, so, I mean, I've already mentioned his name, as you'll know, but uh, it was such a privilege to kind of get Simon from Hot Mess Simon is a DJ that I followed for years. I went to Hot Mess several years ago with Amy Lamore and then used to go sort of on the regular. The only times I didn't make it was if I was DJing at CC's, but occasionally I would get a shift swap so I could go. And I remember one night, actually, this is one of the best stories I can tell before we do this interview, was that Amy and I had went tonight at the, and I'm going to have to say this because I've DJed there, but they wouldn't, they're not held accountable for these um, nights are external but we went tonight at the Mash House and we kind of weren't feeling the vibe. You know, it was, in theory, it was good. There was queer DJs, but it just didn't really have that atmosphere that it wanted to have. And it's fine because, like I said to Simon later that you'll hear, a lot of this stuff is trail and error. But what we did was we went, right, we'll go support our friends at this. And if we don't like it, we'll leave and we'll go to Hot Mess or we'll just stay for a little bit longer and then go hit Hot Mess. Anyway... And me and Amy went, she'll probably be listening to this now actually, and she'll realise what story I'm talking about. But we went down an alley because we left because we weren't feeling it. And a guy said um, something really horrific to Amy. I think he said the T-slur or something. And it was pissing against a wall outside of La Belle Angel. I mean, I'm all for piss play, but outside of La Belle Angel, hon, they've got toilets. And I actually quite like the toilets in La Belle Angel. You know, we've all been in those toilets several times. And... When Amy and I walked down the um, corridor, the corridor, would it be a corridor? The alley. Me and Amy in an alley. <laughs> Very apt for us um, in drag. So went down this alley and the guy shouted something horrific at her. And I remember being really angry. And I was like, I'm not having this anymore. Like We're openly um, drag artists that are both queer and non-binary. This is just not acceptable. And I turned around to him and was like... If you're going to piss against the wall next time, aim it at my face. Probably not (laughs) the best sort of comeback. I'm not a very good comeback queen, but I just remember him being so furious. And I remember putting on Facebook, actually, and everyone thought it was, like, hilarious. And I was like, he turned around the guy and he said, oh, something back. And I was like, Amy was getting a bit stressed, bless her. And I remember saying, okay, what? Well, you've got fucking six inch heels off. I'll fucking take them off. <laughs> like, and I'll fucking, yeah. What am I like? <laughs> we were just, um, we were having a good night and I don't believe in violence, but I also do believe in self-defense. And it was just not 
not the best end to the beginning of the night, but then, you know, when the clock strikes 12, as Cinderella was infamously told, the spell will be broken, and the spell was broken, and we ran down to Sneaky Pete's, and we got sweaty Betty's at Hot Mess, which is Simon's night, and we had the best end to a bit of a rough start. And that is what a DJ can do for you, and that's what Simon does every single time. He brings it to you every episode. So now I'm going to introduce to you the amazing and super talented Simon from Hot Mess. Hello everyone, welcome back to Afternoon's Delight. This is going to be so much fun and wild. I'm going back maybe a year and a half since I was last at this club night by one of my favourite Edinburgh DJs, an absolute legend in the DJ scene. It is just the overall fantastically talented Simon from <laughs> Hot Mess. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for that uh, very kind introduction. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very nice. Here's... It's absolutely grand. And the thing is, like, let's face it, with your club night hot mess, you know, I have always been a hot mess in that room and I am here for it every time. Like, I don't think there's been one that I've been either sober or behaving and I'm here for that as well. Like, it's been such a great night for me. But I've often said to people, you know, the beauty about that night was there was such a creative... For me, anyway, as, as a member of the queer community, there was such a liberation about just being able to be freely yourself at that club night as opposed to a lot of other nights. Um, mm -hmm. So it's great to have you. And it's just so lovely to see you after so long. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. I, 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 I'm glad that you've, you've felt that when you've come to Hot Mess and that's exactly the kind of atmosphere that, um, that I try and generate. Um, and Well, I say I try and generate. It's like I can only... It gets generated as a um, a collective uh, endeavor between me and people like you who come and dance and who like give so much of yourself to to make it work. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's like me and Emil and more between the two of us resonate a lot of energy in that room. Don't worry. So I absolutely, it's always always like when I see you two arriving, I'm like, yes, it's going to be a good night tonight. Oh, that's so lovely. You can feel the love in the room, and I think right now and. Um, it sounds as wanky as it sounds on my part. I think love is what really we need right now in the sort of like planet um, with just lockdown number 75, 76. Like it just, mm -hmm. yeah. it's never ending. So for my listeners, Simon, would you uh, mind introducing yourself? Hi, uh, yeah, I'm Simon. Uh, I am a DJ at Hot Mess. Um, I've been DJing since um, about... Uh, 1996 I started, so 20, fuck, sorry, excuse me, um, 25 years, 25 years, um, and yeah, been doing Hot Mess since um, October 2010, so last, last October uh, was the 10th anniversary, but unfortunately because of um, the pandemic, you've not had a not had a, an actual celebration party to, to, to mark that date, but um, hopefully soon. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm a DJ. Um, I'm also a queer bisexual man, um, uh, and uh, polyamorous sometimes. Um, and um, yeah, that's I, I like um, I like cycling and uh, <laughs> I like cooking and hanging out with my cat and reading books as well. I yeah. love. <laughs> I feel like I asked you for like your Tinder bio, essentially. I love that. 
Hey, Clint, I also love your cat so much. What's your cat's name, the ginger one? He's, cat. He's called, he's called Mycroft, um, <laughs> which is from uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the name of Mycroft, uh, Sherlock Holmes' brother, Mycroft. Um, and it's actually because when my partner and I were, were thinking of getting a cat, we were going to get one, and it was going to be called Mrs. Hudson, which is Sherlock Holmes's landlady. But uh, when we looked on the SSPCA website, there was two kittens from the same litter going. Um, so we adopted Mrs. Hudson and Mycroft at the same time. Mrs. Hudson passed on, unfortunately. But yeah, Mycroft, he's a, he's a lovely, lovely, cuddly fellow. Oh, he's so beautiful because I've got like two black cats and I'm basically a witch and I'm here for it. Like, it's so lovely. Every time you have some, sometimes I see on Twitter, you'll post like a photo of you in the cat or Instagram and he's just, he's so precious. I used to have a ginger, a ginger cat that died as well. Um, and it was, it's so um, lovely right now to just see that. Um, yeah, there's there's more to you as well. You're so um, modest being like, oh, this is me. And like, there's a lot <laughs> to pack here in this interview. So this is going to be a fun one. Um, but I think for me, what I'd love to know as well as my listeners would be, you know, before you went down DGEN, where did you kind of grow up, study? Did you do um, a degree at uni or go to college? You know, did you work other jobs? What did you kind of do before you fell into DGEN? Okay. Um, uh, I, I grew up in Curry in the, the suburbs of Edinburgh. Um, and I lived there until I was 20. Um, I kind of pissed about at school. Sorry, am I allowed to use language like that? You uh, swear away, hon. Insert it. Okay. <laughs> Thank fuck for that. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of pissed about at school and uh, didn't really do very well. My, my friends all went off to university in like Glasgow. Um, that's where I started going out clubbing the first kind of times I went out clubbing. I, I wasn't out at the time, so I went to... Um, I mean, I hesitate to call them straight clubs because they were pretty wild places, but they weren't, they weren't like queer clubs. So, um, but kind of good underground techno nights. Uh, that's where I got into the kind of idea that going out dancing could like just turn your life around and like make, have, give you the most amazing kind of transformative experience. Um, and that's where I was like, I, I would quite like to get into this. Um, I went to university in Stirling and that's when I did my first kind of DJ and I had some nights in some quite rough, like, old men's pubs in the middle of Stirling. Um, people would sometimes, like, threaten threaten me. And, like, the, like, I remember one time I was playing, like, the Supremes or something, like some, like, Diana Ross Motown number. And this old guy came up and was like, can you not play some music? Um, oh, God. Like, he was, yeah, like, this Motown was not even proper music for, for these people. But it was good. It was kind of good training for me. Um, and yeah, I was at university uh, and um, stayed, ended up staying in Stirling for a, for a few, few years. Got a job in Edinburgh in 2004 and came back here. Um, and after going to a few kind of, I'm maybe jumping ahead here, but like, um, would you like me to talk about how my DJing yeah. Wives, wives. Okay, so I was in Edinburgh. Um, there was a few nights. I'd never been one for like a, the kind of mainstream, um, like gay scene, uh, music-wise. Mm -hmm. um, I totally think it's a wonderful thing that there's such a like a, a, a vibrant and popular 
scene in, in Edinburgh and in Glasgow. Um, but I just never really connected with the, the music, um, the kind of like chart, kind of cheese um, scene. Um, and so I was more drawn to, there was a, there was a, a night called Utter Gutter that, was, that took place in the noughties. Um, and it started off in Glasgow uh, with um, a woman called Sandra and um, a guy called Alan, he went by the name Hush Puppy. Um, <laughs> and they played, they played like a, a mix of like kind of, they would play like pop music, would be like Madonna, um, uh, like Michael Jackson and stuff, but there would also be a lot of uh, like weird, dark, underground dance music, electronic stuff, mm -hmm. uh, and all mixed up together. And it was like really exciting for me, really thrilling. They came through to, I went, I went to that night in Glasgow a couple of times and I was, I ended up sending a CD. This was back in the day of like actual physical media. Um, and I, would, I sent a CD to, to Sandra, the, the promoter, and I was like, you should have me come and play at this, um, at your club. Um, and I think the second time she responded, I was like, yeah, okay, come and, come and do a guest slot. And uh, I totally had a, a, a magic time. Like I, um, yeah, Glasgow, it's a cliche, but Glasgow crowds are really wild, like oh, yeah. really wild. And um, they were, yeah, having this, it was, it was such a, a, a thrill to play to this like crowd of people who were just like complete headness, having an amazing time and really getting into the music that I'd spent a lot of time kind of selecting and, and um, putting a lot of love into. Um, and I played that for a, 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 maybe a year or so and then that came to an end and I was like, I, I should do something myself. Um, and I got in touch with um, the We Red Bar, the, the Edinburgh College of Art. Mm -hmm. um, and I did a night called Club for Heroes in 2008, which was not, it was, it was kind of, it wasn't specifically a queer night, but I kind of meant it as one. And I was kind of, it, I didn't really go far enough in making it explicitly queer because there were people, Queer people would come and be like, is this like a queer night or a straight night? And straight people would come to be like, is this, is this like a queer night? Ooh, I don't know about this. Um, and it was fun and it was good and I enjoyed it, but it, I, it didn't really get a kind of a, a proper following. Mm -hmm. it, was good, it was good fun though. But I, I, after, after a, a year or so, I was like, no, I'm going to stop and rethink this. Um, all the while I was doing a kind of office job in the, in the daytime, which was paying the bills, um, but my heart was in the disco. Um, <laughs> and I can't remember what it was. Oh, no, I do remember. I do remember. I, 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 was, I was a guest DJ, or was I, I was a, I'd been asked to be a resident DJ at a night at the Bongo Club called the Devil Disco Club, which was, which was fun, but I was kind of feeling... It wasn't like my thing. The other people were... It was established by a couple of other guys, and it was I was very much the kind of like there on their invitation, and I wanted to do something. And they, they had kind of different ideas about music and what kind of people they wanted. And mm. I went to see. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you read comic books, Jordy, but so, um, I don't. But I've got a lot of nerd friends that love comic books, so I'm very familiar. Okay. With you, yeah. Right. You you'll have heard of, you'll have heard of some of the comics by a guy called Alan Moore. Oh, yeah. um, he wrote uh, Beef for Vendetta, Watchmen, 
um, Swamp Thing, uh, various other comic books. I went to see him at the Edinburgh Book Festival in, I think, 2010. And someone asked him a question about, like, how do you, like, compromise? He's, he's quite a far-out guy. He's very... Yeah. Um, he's like he, he looks really strange he's like a practicing magician like kind of witchcraft kind of magician and um, he's very much a, a unique character and he went he, he did a lot of work for DC Comics the big American comic uh, industry and someone asked him a question like how do you like compromise your kind of far out ideas to kind of satisfy this mainstream audience and I was, it made me kind of think about me trying to satisfy this kind of mainstream kind of vibe that, that this night was trying to do. And I was like, and Alan Moore was like, look, you just don't, you can't compromise. You can't like kind of sell yourself short. You need to give people what you think they need um, and, and not what, what you think they want. Um, and that made me think, right, fuck this. I'm going to do my own. Thing. I'm going to give the people what I think they need and hopefully it'll work but if it doesn't then you know at least I've tried and so I was like right I'm going to do Hot Mess I'm going to like play the music I like I'm going to do all the DJing myself and I'm going to make it like blatantly queer I'm going to have pictures of guys in their underpants or guys making out um, on the posters and that's that's how it started uh, yeah I think, quite a long answer to your question there. Oh, no, nothing is too <laughs> in this podcast. We don't complain in length in this podcast, trust me. So <laughs> helpful to know all that, to kind of answer, maybe ask some improvised questions, etc. Because hearing all that, it's so fascinating because I didn't realise that you were quite into comic books. And I love that you've taken inspiration from something like that and applied it to your work. That's quite a, a good sort of ethos to have to kind of go, well, how do I take this but apply it to here? And you're so mm. right. I, as someone that's lucky that I can DJ in sort of more like than um, a queer like venue, I've been DJing in other venues outside the queer community and sort of CCs in the street, but I've seen what you mean in that sort of both sides to it, if that makes sense, that mm-hmm. I've DJed in CCs and played music that everyone wants to hear, but then I've done nights, at, I did a night at the Weeded Bar like yourself when I went to ECA, mm-hmm. And was like, right, I can do what I want now. I can play what I want. And I remember when we did Hector's House, we'd done the Judy Party, which was very much a sort of queer invasion into Cavall. And that mm. was, to this day, actually, that's still my favourite club night. On a Tuesday night of all nights, my favourite. Right. Because the room was so energetic. There wasn't, and I love to say this, I do, that there wasn't sort of this weird thing that we had drag queens walking around in their brand pants handing out free condoms and no one cared and that's the way it should be in my opinion. You know what yeah. I mean? And we had straight people probably necking off with queer people. It was just wild. Um, and that, I very <laughs> understand what you mean with that sort of how do you adhere and make it sort of popular because the, the thing I had to learn on the job from my experience was that you will go into sort of queer spaces like when I went DJ at Season Street and people will love what you play, but the people that go there want that kind of thing. The people that go to other venues will go because they want that thing. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. when I used to come to Hot Mess, it's because I wanted to come and see you play your amazing music and have a great night. But I knew what I was going for, if that makes sense. And um, mm-hmm. you remember it was the poster I'd seen for Hot Mess. I think I'd have been walking to the grass market once with my friend and I'd seen a poster and was like, that looks like my kind of thing. These two like sweaty guys on the poster, like naked. I went, that is for me. <laughs> like <laughs> that was 
remembered your night. It wasn't through Facebook or Twitter or anything. It was actually that. And then I went on Facebook. Yeah. There's an event. Let's go. Ran like yeah, my like pals. Um, and what I loved was I once came to your night and the bouncer said to me at the front, now it is a queer um, rave type party. Feel free to go in. We're not like, excluding people. And they were like, oh, amazing, cool. And there wasn't a weird sort of, oh, I'm not going to that. There was a, oh, cool, no worries. And it felt so free. Mm. Um, and I, I very much get, I mean, I think I already know this, but Aries vibes off of you. Like, yeah. Own yeah. I can see that for you. Like, you're like, I have to take charge of this because I can do it better. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, see that. Um, so, before the pandemic, you know, and I hate, I mean, if this is a touchy subject, feel free not to answer because a lot of people get a bit resilient being like, before the pandemic, things were going like this. But before the pandemic, you know, what was um, what was on the agenda? Were you doing Hot Mess? And you're also DJ for EHFM, don't you? Yes, I do a, a monthly show for EHFM, which started in 2019, I think. Um, so that was just kind of, I was just kind of getting into my stride with that when, when lockdown happened. Um, and the club was going great. Like, I've been doing it every month at the Poetry Club in Glasgow, mm -hmm. which is a lovely little place. I don't know if you've ever been there, Jordy, but... Um, I've not, no, but I've no... It's, like, it's, it, it's part of the SWG3 complex, which is like a big old warehouse. So this is like, it's, this is a small space. It's about the same, kind of a wee bit larger than Sneaky Pete's. Um, and it's underneath a railway arch um, in, the, in Finiston in Glasgow. Um, and it's... It's nice. It's kind of had a similar kind of uh, similar to the wee red bar in a way, in that it's not somewhere that you just kind of stumble into when you're out for a drink. It's like you have to be wanting to go to that specific place. So you don't have kind of random everyone who's there wants to be there. Um, and yeah, that's that been going to my amazement, to my, like unending amazement. People were still coming. The place was getting like sold out every month. And I, I, every month, like, I, I, at the start of the night, I'd be nervous because I was like, this is, you know, I'm not going to be popular forever. Like, people are going to want, like, they're going to get fed up of, of this kind of music or something more exciting, someone more talented, definitely. And there's a lot more talented DJs than me out there. You know, the people are, my, my time in the sun is going to come to an end at some point. And every month I'd be convinced that that would be the time when, like, okay, there's no, no one's going to come. But people, people kept coming. So I was very happy. Um, and I was doing it every two months at Sneaky Pete's as well. And that was that that was just really hitting its stride and getting a lot of kind of regular people coming every time. And yeah, just it made me so happy. Um <laughs> and yeah, then lockdown hit. Um it's been it's been really grim from a DJing point of view. Um I found it very difficult to maintain enthusiasm for doing the show, um, mainly because my my DJing style has pretty much exclusively been like music for dancing to music for the, the club. Um, and when, when that element of your life is, is taken away, it's kind of like, huh, okay, I'm going to do this radio show and kind of like, it's going to be like disco and techno and, but like, mm, nah, I just don't, just not feeling it. Um, I would, I would, like I, I kind of keep trying and I, I have keep keep going at it um and in fact the last couple of shows I've done I've actually been surprisingly uh enthusiastic about doing it 
Um, I find I've, I've got a if if I if I find myself stuck and get the kind of DJ equivalent of writer's block um, when it comes to choosing music and 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 kind of preparing a mix, I try and set myself a little kind of um, formal condition on what I'm going to play. So, for example, last month I was like, right, I'm going to play nothing higher than 100 BPM. And kind of restricting my choice like that, and it, it, rather than just having the whole world of music to choose from when you can kind of get a bit kind of rabbit in the headlights and go, oh, God, um, kind of doing that helps kind of push me along. And, and uh, so, yeah, that was a good... I've, I've been, I've been, I've been persevering, um, and EHFM. I'm, I'm so happy to be part of that community. They're, um, they're, it's run by wonderful volunteers, and um, there's so many talented people on the roster. Um, I'm, I'm very glad that I'm still doing it, and I, I'm looking forward to this month's show. So the third Saturday of every month, by the way. Um, on EHFM and all of the previous shows are available on on their website to listen back so check it out brilliant that you know it's so great to like hear that you're sort of seeing a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel these sort of situations and you're setting yourself good boundaries of well do you know what like if I'm not feeling this as much as normal maybe if I give myself a task of don't go past this BPM because that sort of stuff does really help I know what you mean about how grim it's been because I I kind of did the opposite that I threw myself into like two weeks in getting on my computer and doing it on Facebook for people in drag and they could watch. And that was great. It really was fun. It kept me busy while I was applying for loads of jobs because obviously I'm self-employed and was like, well, what the fuck am I going to do for the next like six months to a year? Um, so I was applying online for loads of online jobs and doing the DJing kept me kind of insane in a way. It gave me something to look forward to. But it, what I am at this point missing in and DJing on like sort of as opposed to online is the crowd applause, seeing mm. people, that mm. atmosphere, you know, it, it does feel so big brother or well style that everyone's watching on a computer and sitting in their house, but they're not actually all together. I don't like it. Yeah. And yeah. and I mean I did it 10 months and I went, I can't, and then the new year I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like it's just not for me. I'm doing it tomorrow just because it's my birthday and I want, I've been planning a set. That I want to record. So I went, well, do you know what? I'll do it live. I'll record it for an hour doing my birthday, but then that'll be it. But that's not like if we were, me and my friend Lucy were doing every Friday, we were doing my night that I used to do at the street for six months and it was great. But it just wasn't the same. And it was like we started off with like 250 plus people tuning in. And it then, wow. yeah, but then it whittled down to like 22. And I thought, mm. it's not about the numbers for me, but it was more like I didn't really want to do it, but I felt like I had to. But then yeah. numbers go, oh, well, not many people actually want to watch. So do I actually have to if I don't want to do it? Um, yeah. And it has, I've been listening to some of your sets on the um, EHFM and they've been so great. And I know what you mean. You've got a great style. Um, it's so funny that you would be like, oh, well, you know, I'm not this brilliant DJ, blah, blah. And I'm sitting like, well, you're one of my favorite Edinburgh. It's like, <laughs> I've went to for a night that it's, like in a good way I've went and been like okay I'll be surprised because I don't know what he's going to play and it, that's what I want I don't want to go and see someone play what I'll play because that's I would mm. might as well just sit and play my own music every, all the time do you know what I mean it's not mm. um, and I've always got my Shazam out and tried to pinch some tracks <laughs> <laughs> but Please, you, I'm always happy to tell people what I'm playing so don't feel shy about coming up and asking 
like the online uh, DJ and stuff, it just the, it, like missing that actual the feedback from seeing people, from making eye contact and like putting your hands in the air and seeing the other people put their hands in the air. It's just, it, it can't be replicated at home, uh, unfortunately. I didn't try, I thought, we thought about doing like a hot mess, like a, a video stream or something, but um, we, we, my, my friend Colin, who does a night with me in Glasgow, we just never, we just said, nah, because it's not something, I mean, I, it's just not something that appealed to me as a as something that I would want to watch or 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 kind of take part in from home. Um, I did do a couple of like online festivals. I did the the Buy Pride Festival in the summer, which um, was like just a pre-recorded uh, thing of me like at home DJing and dancing about, um, which I actually really enjoyed. Uh, and I was I was kind of terrified about watching it on the day because I mean by like by pride is a, an event and like the unifying thing isn't like oh this is a group of people who all like kind of disco and house music it's like these are all people who are all like either by or, or or pan or or by adjacent and um, are interested in that and that's the kind of common factor so there might there might be lots of people who hate that my kind of music and I I kind of I didn't when it came to like I watched the the other events panel discussions and stuff but when it came to my set I think I turned over and watched something on tv and like someone was texting me saying oh like the people are loving your stuff and I'm like what really and I kind of like snuck back into the the chat room and saw like and all these people saying really nice things and I was like oh this is lovely this is lovely and that it kind of gave me a little bit of that same kind of feeling of like when you get the applause at the end of the night and when people are like dancing, like there's just nothing more joyful than making people dance. And there actually were people saying like, I'm dancing around my room here. Um, and yeah, that, that was a wee, a wee bright spot uh, in the summertime. I think that's absolutely great. My friend who's bisexual, openly bisexual, she loved uh, your set and she was tuning in for all that. She's been on the podcast. Oh. Yeah, and she's been actually, today, she's been filming with The Social, The Beauty Social, on a bi-visibility video. I'll need to link you when it comes out. Oh, yeah. um, but that's bringing me nicely onto my next thing I was going to ask is, so if you wouldn't mind, you know, I've had um, Lana on earlier in season one talking about bi-visibility. And I think it would be quite important if you um, wouldn't mind sharing sort of your experience of coming as bisexual and what you feel like that, you know, means to you because it's for me that's an important part that LGBTQIA isn't that without a B or the T. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it'd be great mm. to hear kind of your story on that. Okay, thanks. Uh, I um, I actually wrote about this. I wrote, I wrote about my story for there's a, a a book called the Bible, uh, Volume Two: New Testimonials, which is published by um, an Edinburgh feminist publishing company called Monsters Regiment um, and yeah you can read it in there if you like um, but uh, the kind of short-ish version uh, I actually came out as gay uh, first of all when I was 20 um, like I fancied guys in my teenage years I'd had a girlfriend um, and I was into girls as well and I, I when I was 20 I was just like right 
I was single and I, I wasn't very confident. I wasn't wasn't having any sex or anything. And I was like, mm, I, I really like. And I, at that point, I was wanting a like a monogamous partner. And so I kind of slightly foolishly thought, well, if I'm bisexual, there's going to be like that's going to put off a lot of people. Like a lot of people who are like a lot of gay men and a lot of like straight women will just be like, oh. Bisexual, I don't know about that. That's a bit too complicated for me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I might as well pick a side. Um, and I can't remember why I thought gay would be, being gay would be being easier than being straight, but um, I think it, it seems like it would be uh, certainly the more interesting life, that's for sure. Um, and fucking, you know, guys are hot. There's <laughs> no, no, no doubt about it. So um, I came out as gay and uh, and Got a boyfriend, met in CC's actually, um, back in 1996, I think it would have been. Wow. Um, after we went to some kind of, I'm digressing, I'm digressing. Can talk um, and tell me. I, I was, this, this, this was at, when I was at Sterling University in the LGB group, because at that point it, it wasn't LGBT, unfortunately, um, although I'm sure there were trans people there, um, but uh, we had a like a, a weekly group on campus, and one week we had this trip to Edinburgh to meet. Um, I can't remember the name of the group, but it was at the the centre on Broughton Street. I don't know the name of the place, but there's like a kind of meeting. I think it's the same building where um, that cafe. Cafe not. Uh, yeah. The plume. Yeah. Yes, yes. That that building, I think that's where it was like a kind of gay resource centre um, at, at the time. And, and so we met there and I met this this guy and um, the group went to went to CC Blooms and hit off with this guy. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a start. Like I, like I, so I lived the next 20 years of my life um, as a gay man. Um, I still like was attracted to women. Um, and my closest friends knew about that. I didn't do anything about it, though. I was like, right. Um, and I got to, when I, when I kind of hit 40, um, by that point, I was married and to my husband. And, um, and I was just like, you know, I don't really want to live the rest of my life and not have any kind of sex or like sexual relationships or even romantic kind of like relationships with uh with women i don't want to kind of like miss out on this whole realm of desire and contact um that i would like to to take part in um and so i came out by uh, i came out as bisexual then and it's been great um it's kind of scary and it's kind of like it's kind of like it, I think our society is very much organized around what people call monosex and mo- monosexuality. So the idea that people are either gay or or straight, and and the, those are the only kind of real sexualities. And if people will say they're bi, they're kind of usually like if it's a if it's a man who says he's bi, people assume that he's gay, but he's kind of too scared to say that he's actually gay. 
Um, and if it's a woman, um, they assume that she's actually straight, but she's just, uh, you know, trying to get men's attention by saying that she's into women as well. Basically, it's organized around the idea that everyone, like, everyone is into men because, you know, what's not to like about men? Well, aren't we so wonderful? Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so the, the, it's a very powerful force. So it's a kind of idea of monosexuality. And so to be bisexual uh, openly and to kind of, to say, yeah, this is this is who I am, and this is like I, I my desires are a bit more complicated than that. Um, it's quite scary, but um, I've got to say, Jordi, it's worked out pretty well for me, <laughs> and I've had some real nice times since then. So, if you're, if I would say to anything to to people listening at home, if you're kind of feeling a bit unsure about the desires that you have and about how people would take it, and you're kind of a bit scared of of being honest with yourself or with your friends and loved ones about it. Don't waste your time. Just go for it. Just like tell people what's what, how you really are, and uh, yeah. Um, I've I've not had any negative experiences. I think. I mean, I'm quite lucky. I must like it's for anyone who doesn't know me. Like I should point out, I'm like a I'm a, a white middle class, uh, tall, cisgender man, and so I am. I have that 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 gives me a certain confidence that not everyone's going to have. Um, so it, it's it's maybe not as easy for other people to just come out as bisexual or, or anything else. Um, so, but if you if you can, I would say do it. Um, that's yeah. amazing. Life's too short. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, it's so funny because that's when I had Alana talking about her bisexuality. Uh, in depth and giving some resources and chatting about it. One of the things that we talked about was actually from her perspective was that passing privilege stuff, the um, sort of transition of coming out as bi if you've been a lesbian or straight, therefore it's a woman can't get a guy, so she's certainly with women or a guy is gay. Mm. Niall, you know, those are the sort of things we touched on as well. And it's what I find unique and I find really fascinating but also great about you coming out and telling your story, Simon, was that I've never heard of someone coming out as gay and then realizing they were bi. So I actually mm. think that's amazing because there will be other people that maybe then go, actually, hold on. And you're right, you know, it is this thing that society often does try to box us. And it's really frustrating because mm. no one needs to box anyone. Um, but it's so great to sort of hear you kind of 20 years on going, do you know what? Actually, this is who I am. And now I can say it and sing it to the heavens. I think... Yeah. That's great, and it's so lovely. I obviously had those experiences. I um, I I gave a when when the this book that I mentioned uh, launched in summer twenty nineteen. Um, I gave a reading of of the the chapter that I wrote um in uh the bookshop monstrous no what's it called um type wronger type wronger bookshop at the top of Leith what um. And it was really nice. Some of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence were there um, and a few friends were there. And we had a wee Q&A at the end of it. And there was a couple of older guys, like guys in their, I guess, 50s, maybe late 50s, um, who were saying, like, it's really nice to hear someone talking about their experience of, like, kind of exploring at a later age, their sexuality and not, not kind of feeling like, okay, I, I'm, I, 
this is who I was when I was 20, so I need to, this is who I am going to be until the end of my days. Like, if we believe that sexuality is like um, uh, a spectrum or, 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 or if, people, if, if it can change over time, which I believe it, it can, then it's important. But I think it's... I don't think I'm important, but I think it is important to, that people can see examples of um, lives that don't fit the boxes that society tries to, to squeeze us into. Because if you can't... If you don't seize a, a way of life, it's very hard to imagine yourself in it. Um, and it's interesting that you said that you you hadn't heard of of men who'd been gay and then came out as bi uh, before, and that, that was kind of one of the, the the reasons I wanted to tell my story and write this chapter in this book, because what people usually say, or the kind of the 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 commoner or, or the the story that people that gets told is that like someone a man comes out as bi initially because somehow that's going to be more easy for his family to understand it's going to be less um less scary for for people that he know um and then once he's kind of confident that a few years later then then he'll come out as his true self as gay um and that that is definitely how it pans out for a lot of people but it's not the only story and uh no. Yeah, I think it's important to recognise that there's many different ways um, that people's sexual sexual identity lives pan out over decades. I find it so interesting because that's actually when I identified as a cis man, that's my story. I came out as bi, set the sort of the vibe, then came out as gay six months later. So it's so interesting mm. and you're right because that is what I did. And when I volunteered at LGBT youth, they'd explain to me what that's considered as, as a stepping stone. And they sort of, you have younger people come and go and buy, and then they actually go, right, I feel a bit more comfortable. And for some reason, they, they don't understand why that can actually be a thing, sir. But like, well, why, why do we assume that people being bi would then find it easier to be gay? Like, you know, it, it, but it just seems to me, I think for me, it was always that that's how telly and sort of film had sort of shown it in a way. Like growing up, like I'm real, mm his TV shows I'd watch that the guy would go, okay, I'm bye. And everyone would be like, all right, cool. And then six mm. months gay. So then I'm at school like, well, maybe I'm bi guys. I don't know. Because that's what I'd seen on telly. I was just, I was just acting out what I was getting shown on a screen. Mm. Uh, but it's so interesting. Another thing, right? This is a really interesting one for me, right? So I'm going to be honest, Simon, right? You are one of the first guests on Afternoon Delight that I'm going to be like, okay, you're going to have to educate me, right? Uh-huh. I don't know much about the polyamory community and how it all works, but I'm, okay. but I'm fascinated. I'm not ignorant. Anytime I don't know anything about anything, I'm like, right, let's get the actual person who knows about it to teach me. So I would love for you to, for our listeners, talk about, if you don't mind, how the sort of polyamory works in the community, because I don't know. And I feel like the best person to talk to would be the person themselves that does it. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. Uh, I... First of all, I, 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 I can't claim to be a member of a, a polyamory community because I don't really know many other people who have like multiple partners other than gay men. Um, and it's, it, well, I'll come to that. I'll come to that later. I think it's quite interesting how the kind of like um, 
casual sex in, in the gay, gay, gay male community is kind of seen as not seen as something different from kind of like polyamory or, or non-monogamy. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, I, I kind of find the language around the polyamory kind of difficult. Like it's, people talk about, oh, I practice polyamory and it all sounds kind of weird and kind of scientific. So basically I like, um, I don't, I don't believe that there's a limit on the amount of, uh, love that you can have for people and i don't think that if you're if you love someone or if you're like just even if you don't love them if, if you're just like in a sexual relationship with someone i don't think that means that you have to be like exclusive and monogamous um i think again it's a like our society is arranged in such a way that um it's expected that romantic and sexual relationships are monogamous and, and exclusive and that any kind of deviation from that is morally wrong and it's kind of it's a lesser kind of quality of relationship um but i disagree i think i think it's it can be it can be difficult um or not difficult but there are challenges if you want to have more than one partner at one time. I mean, like, if nothing else, everyone's just got limited amounts of time. And so you, like, you might want to have 30 lovers, but you were never going to be able to see them all. Um, but there's also like emotional challenges because people get jealous. Um, and that's kind of a healthy and normal response. But what I've found in my experience is that the idea that jealousy is somehow a uh, an indication that something is terribly wrong and that you need to change your behavior to stop that jealousy. That's not the case. Jealousy is something that you can accept and go, okay, I feel a bit insecure about my partner going off to see someone else. Um, but I know that they're going to come back. Um, and I know that there's things that I can do to reassure myself. I can ask them to, you know, have a special date night with me tomorrow instead. And that's going to, like that's going to calm me down. Um, one of the things that is like, one of the things that for me is the the wonderful about non-monogamy. Um, I for some reason I prefer the term non-monogamy to polyamory, and I don't really know why. But um, is what what people they, they, they've given it a name. They call it compersion, which is kind of like compassion, but it's when you you feel. Um, it's, it refers to the joy and the happiness that you you take from seeing your partner being happy with someone else. So, um, when I see a part, when my partner's telling me about this fantastic time that they've had with this person that they've just met, um, that gives me a sense of like joy and satisfaction, and it's a kind of generates a kind of loving feeling, um, and that's something that's really special um, and precious. Um, I think it's also one of the valuable things about embracing non-monogamy is that expecting one person to fulfill all your sexual and emotional uh, relationship needs for like the rest of your life is a huge amount of stress to put on a relationship. It's a huge burden to expect anyone to be able to, to carry. And 
I think that's why you see so many like relationships coming to an end. Um, which is not to say that relationship coming to an end is necessarily a bad thing because um, they come to an end for lots of good reasons. However, um, I think, yeah, I, th I, th I think it, by allowing for non-monogamy and allowing to have yourself and your partners to, to see other people and to um, have your needs met, your, your needs met by in, in, in various different relationships, it, it, it kind of, it takes the pressure off and um, it allows for a bit more freedom and um, yeah, there's a lot of joy to be had in having multiple partners. Um, it makes me sad to see, um, like in my, in my experience, lots of like lots of queer men definitely are totally open and honest about this, but there's also a lot of queer men who are like kind of secretive about the fact that they will like have sex with other people. Um, and sometimes, sometimes it's like, there's like, they hold, keep it secret from, from their, like their main partner, which I think is a bit dodgy. Um, some, and sometimes, but it's like kind of open secret with their partner, but like they, they'll, they'll present to the outside world, this, this picture of a mm. traditional monogamous couple, which I think is, I mean, I don't, I don't judge people because there's, everyone's got reasons for the picture they present to the world, but um, I think it, I think it's good when the outside world sees that there are different ways of doing relationships and that we don't all have to conform to this kind of imitation of a traditional heterosexual marriage. You're so right. So it's so interesting to hear you saying all this, right? I mean, you've sold me. <laughs> you've sold me. <laughs> but I would say this is my thing, um, which why I'm glad I've asked you now, is that I felt I went out with someone, the first guy I ever went out properly when I was about 18 and a half, 19, the amount of um, stories that came out when we finished about how he'd been sleeping with other people. And everyone was like, oh, you're upset because you got cheated on. And I remember saying to everyone, no, what upset me was two weeks into us dating, I kind of knew that he wanted to sleep with other people. And I had said to him, do you want to be in an open relationship? Because I'm uh -huh. happy to consider this and we can debate this and see if this is the better option here. Because as long as I knew what was happening, it wouldn't have his hurt as much. What hurt was, because hmm. I knew, I knew it was happening because you hear rumors and you go, mm, okay, well, I, I'm not going to confirm that because it's a rumor, but you can, I could tell. And then you're, when obviously months after we'd broke up, I had all these people saying, oh, well, I slept with him when I was going out with you, but I didn't want to tell you. And I was like, oh, like, this is what hurts more is that if he just said he wanted to be an open relationship, it probably wouldn't have hurt me as much. It might have hurt, but then I wouldn't have maybe, I mean, I opened the conversation up for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah. Like I think that's, that's kind of, it really illustrates a, a big part of the problem, this idea of, like, it, it's so, um, it's so kind of beyond people's, comprehension that it's something that it's a way that you can actually do relationships like even when you said to this guy um why don't you know this is something that i'd be willing to to try an open relationship that it's, it's like oh no and then it still goes off and is non-monogamous but just in a non-consensual manner like That's um consent is important 
consent is so important. Uh, it's it's very it's very sad. It's sad that people um, find that so like unthinkable that it's possible to have um, a non-monogamous relationship and and therefore they you know people cheat on people cheat on each other and it's yeah, it's heartbreaking. And I will say, like, I'll be honest with my ignorance, is that I worried that, you know, when interviewing you with the polyamorous thing, I worried that maybe the polyamory community, not from me, but from other people, maybe got labelled that that's what they were doing because gay men have had a tendency in the past that I've went out with to sort of sometimes cheat or and, and do these things. And, and being open is great. Like, I've, I've been open in two relationships in the past, but... I think it is that you say that sort of seedy lion aspect that's not nice that when you bring up cons- mm. important. And I was like, oh, I hope that people in the polyamorous community don't feel like they're getting laid with painted with the same brush because they're not. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. But that is just people's ignorance, which is why it's so important to have you talk about this. Because like I said, you've sold me. Like I'm feeling like, all right, okay, this is something maybe I could get into. Um, with oh. Sam- oh. <laughs> <laughs> um it's, it, you know what, it's so great to hear you talk about these positive things, but, you know, the last 10 months has been really difficult for everyone. And I ask a lot of guests that come on, you know, how have they managed to cope and have they, have they found themselves a bit more during this pandemic than normal? And it'd be great if you could kind of share how your experience has been of that. Okay, yeah, I Well, yeah, it's been shit. It's been really shit. Um, I, how have I coped? Um, I got a bike. I got a bike in the summertime. My mum lives in Belerno, um, which is in the southwest of, of the, the city. And um, I live like in, in Leith and I would usually go and see her once a week. And then when the guidance was like, okay, you should avoid public transport if you can. I was like, oh, okay. Um, I don't drive. So I was like, right, I'll get myself a bike. I was quite scared about doing that because I, I'd had a, an accident on a bike like 15 years ago and broke my shoulder um, and hadn't been back on one since then but I was like nah I'm going to do it I'm going to do it um, so had a wee trial on the you know the, the city council just eat bikes yeah. the hire bikes um, and I had a wee scoot about on them I was like ah you know, I could do this this was like at the end of the first lockdown when like the roads were really quiet and stuff so it was a good time to get confident again and um, yeah I got back on the bike and um, that's been like amazing. Um, the just just being able to get out of the house, but also like being being on a bike and like moving kind of at speed. Um, it's such a different kind of way of being from kind of normal day to day walking around. Um, it, it, just for a bit of variety, it's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a. Last year, up, up until October, I, uh, I had a, a girlfriend in uh, Rutherglen in, in the West Coast, and I would spend a lot of time staying with her, um, which was great, but, but uh, we separated in October. So that's been, that kind of made the, the winter lockdown even more shit uh, than it would have been otherwise. Yeah. Um, I, I threw myself into um, a bit of like a, a bit of witchcraft study. Um, I, I saw on Twitter a couple of writers who I follow were doing um, witchcraft, online witchcraft classes uh, under the name Toil and Trouble. <laughs> and I signed up for them. They just started in January. Um, I've, I've, not, I've not done any kind of like magic 
myself, other than tarot, been reading tarot cards for about five five years. I know um, that on your Instagram, yeah. constantly doing a card, and I thought maybe you need to do mine for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if it's a. I'm not sure if I'm at the stage of like doing reading for other people yet, but um, if you want to do that, uh, Mystica Glamour. I don't know if you follow Mystica Glamour on on Instagram, but they, I know that, that they do tarot. Um, but yeah, that's 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 been quite interesting, just to, to as a way of of thinking about the world in a kind of different way. I suppose being at home and kind of being like stuck indoors, you kind of need to kind of travel within um, to to find things to keep you occupied and to, uh, yeah. Um, so cooking is a kind of cliche one, but yeah, like cooking, just like cooking nice soup and um, lighting lots of candles <laughs> in the winter time. Um, it's like a, it's like a kind of set of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer bedroom or something around my flat these days. Uh, I'm just trying to, Trying to, like I've, 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 I'm lucky enough that I can afford to see a therapist, um, so I've been like being able to share my feelings with her, um, and also just kind of trying to trying to accept that it's it, this isn't going to last forever, and like no matter how like the times when I felt really bad and I have felt really really bad, just kind of leaning into that and going okay you're going to feel shit just now Simon but this will pass like. It always passes. It always passes. So these emotions can feel really overwhelming and they can totally overtake you. And, and you kind of think, oh, I need to do something about this right now because this is terrible. But sometimes, a lot of the time, most of the time, all you need to do is just go, right, I'm just going to feel shit for a wee while. Let's like, I'll, I'll do my breathing, like I'll do my deep breaths, I'll lie down on my bed, I'll close my eyes. And like, this will pass. I'll have a wee cry, I'll have a big cry. This will pass, and then the next day you'll feel a bit, bit better, and then the next day you'll feel a bit better. The thing to remember, though, unfortunately, that that will pass too. <laughs> like, it, but trying to remember the the kind of impermanence of of emotions, um, that's been a big a big help. Yeah, I mean, before the pandemic, Simon, I was emotionally depressed. So <laughs> I totally yeah. understand what you mean that I'm like now, like I have all these emotions. Like, um, I don't know if you remember the First Wives Club when Goldie Hawn's like, what do you mean I don't have any emotions? I'm an actress, I have all of them. And I'm like, that is, <laughs> that is just me now, yeah. like emotions, let me tell you. Um, and I had my, honestly, I had my huge spiritual awakening where I've now got crystals and I do like meditation and, oil diffusers all in my house every evening to cleanse my aura in my house like I totally vibe with you on that 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 stuff that I've kind of um you know had to like get in touch with because I'd started to realize who I really was during this pandemic which is a good way a good thing in a way um which mm -hmm. does bring me to my next question that we ask on season two as opposed to season one because I wanted to bring this podcast back with sort of a purpose in a way you know Season one was all sort of a way of networking and getting artists on to talk about their work. But one thing we ask in the season that's different is what did 2020 teach us and what are we grateful for in 2021? So it would be quite interesting to hear if you could choose one for each that you feel 2020 taught you and what you're grateful for in this year, which is a hard mm. question, I know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. 
Hmm. I guess I suppose twenty twenty taught taught me that like um yeah, nothing lasts nothing lasts forever. Uh what's his name? George Harrison from the Beatles had a solo album called All Things Must Pass. Um and yeah, it's I mean it's a it's a bit of a cliche, right? But it teaches you just to like treasure treasure the good stuff while while it's happening. Try not to hold on to it too tightly, though. I think um, that because that can that can cause uh, problems. There's a, a writer um, called Meg John Barker who wrote a few books. One called Queer: A Graphic History, which is excellent. Um, but they do, they're kind of from a therapy background um, and they, um, they wrote a book called Rewriting the Rules, which is about relationships and monogamy and sexuality and um, it's brilliant. And they talk about um, like holding on to things that we value, like relationships, for example, um, or friendships or just like things like, like a club night that you do and kind of like hold, holding on to it so hard that you like you break the thing like so if you think about the things that you that are important to you the, especially the relationships and the people who are important to you um the impulse is like oh i need to hold them tight because otherwise they're going to run away and mm -hmm. but if you do that then you end up crushing them and you end up like stifling them um if you let go if you're like oh i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna care about this i'm just gonna let go then then obviously you drop it so you need to have a kind of balance of this kind of like appreciating and treasuring the things that are important to you, but not not overdoing it and not like, yeah, not crushing them. Um, so that's something that, that 2020 has, has taught me. I think, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what was it about 2021 again? What are you grateful for in 2021? Whew, uh, I'm grateful that I'm still here. Um, I know you said just one thing. I'm grateful I'm still here. I'm grateful that like you've invited me on your podcast and the thought that I've like was worth speaking to. Um, it's been a, a joy. Um, I am. Yeah, I'm grateful for the the friendships and relationships that I that I got. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, I think. Uh, I'm grateful for whoever decided to make the TV show The Mandalorian because that's probably been the, the biggest source of happiness for me in 2021. So, yeah. You're the first person on the afternoon to like to say that, but I'm totally here for it because... <laughs> Maybe Yoda for the win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's honestly, you know, it's so lovely to have you on this episode, Simon. You know, where can people follow you for, you know, like DJ up-to-dates, like, you know, sets and stuff? Um, okay, well, uh, on Twitter, I am uh, Hot Mess Disco, all one word, at Hot Mess Disco. Um, so you can get me there. On Instagram, I'm at Simon underscore Hot underscore Mess. Um, that I should probably give a kind of content warning that I'm quite often is mainly pictures of me in my underpants. Um, having a nice time um, but everyone is welcome to follow me there if that's your thing um, and on Facebook there's a, a hot mess hot mess page I think it's I think it's a hot mess disco um, 
or facebook.com slash hotmess disco. Uh, you can get me there. Yeah, I mean, I regularly check your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Um, oh, it's, it's so great. Do you know what? Like, I'm going to throw a question at you that I just feel like we need to ask because you're actually, I guess, the second DJ on this um, mm-hmm. that does this kind of all the time. So it's great to kind of get you on. You know, if you could pick three songs that you would play at a club night that are your top three, what would they be? Oh, oh boy. Right. Uh, I should have thought about this before the, the show. Um, oh no, I've sprung this on you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, let's see. I often play like uh, Voodoo Ray by a guy called Gerald. You know that one? No. It's a ah, oh, it's a classic. It's like a late '80s uh, UK. I think it's Manchester. A guy called Gerald, um, a, a black guy from Manchester, um, and he had he did this track called Voodoo Ray, which is. Um, Originally was going to be called Voodoo Rage because um, there was a sample of a guy saying Voodoo Rage, but because the technology in, back in 1988 was so basic, there was only like a, a five-second sample time if you wanted to sample something. So he cut, had to cut off the, the j sound at the end, so Voodoo Ray. Um, but it's a, it's a really it's a really simple, basic, but really quite kind of melodic and kind of. Uh, fun, gentle kind of acid house track. It's quite hard to describe, but like it's, it's just brilliant. Voodoo Ray by a guy called Gerald would be one. Um, I, uh, some kind of like classic disco. Um, hmm. Uh, maybe like, maybe even Love Hangover by Diana Ross. Um, I'm here for that. One of my favorite songs. So good. So good. That, that kind of false slow start and when it picks up the tempo is just oh oh fantastic. Have you um, heard the crate the crate bug edit? Because that's my favorite. Yes. That's my yes. Favorite. How it also was done. It goes dun dun and then speeds up. And I was like, yes, like yeah. One of my favorite crate bugs. Brilliant. Um, and I guess um, oh, another one with Pet Shop Boys. I don't love all the Pet Shop Boys stuff. Some of it I find a little bit kind of detached and a bit kind of like emotionally cool. And I get like, a, I, like I get that, but um, I love um, Always On My Mind. You know, um, that was like, that was number one, I think, in Christmas in 1986. Yeah. Uh, maybe 86 or 87. And so it's, and I, it was like 12, 11 or 12 at the time. So it's got a lot of um, feelings of that kind of like Christmas excitement for me. It's also just, um, it's a really an emotional track for them. Um, and it's really like just that kind of like 80s uh, electronic pop sound is just so full of energy and uh, life. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, those, those three. Amazing. Oh, Simon, it's been so lovely having you on this episode. We end every episode with an inspiring quote, uh, an affirmation, a phrase, a lyric. Do you yeah. have anything you would like yeah. to, to end the episode oh. with? Yeah, I meant to give this more thought as well, but I didn't. But there was there's something I've been thinking about a lot, which um, I read. It, it, there's a book that I read last year called Conflict is Not Abuse. 
yeah. which is really good. It's, it's about basically how um, a lot of the time these days people talk about um, abusive behavior or speech um, that in, an, in a way that it's kind of inappropriate and it's, it's basically when they, someone says something that they don't like, they call it abuse. And oftentimes it's not really abuse. Sometimes it is, and it's important to recognize that, but sometimes it isn't. And sometimes it's just a kind of conflict playing out. And, and conflict between human beings is, is unavoidable. And it's something that we need to get better at navigating. Like even between friends and people who care about, like conflict is, is always going to happen. Um, so this writer, um, Sarah Schulman, quoted a, a German psychotherapist who came to New York from Nazi Germany in the like 1930s. And she believed in like, the power of therapy and the power of like healing um, and not kind of abandoning people who'd done bad things to like just saying, right, they're evil and we need to just lock them up. Um, and she, the quote that, that, that was in this book, the quote from this, this psychotherapist whose name was Edith Weiger, was um, the, about the courage to love. That's, this was it, right? The, the, the courage to love is infinite in its resources of genuine, ah, oh, what was it? Genuine remorse. Right reconciliation and repair wow. so that the courage to love is infinite in its resources of genuine remorse reconciliation and repair so like it's basically like when you feel when someone's wronged you and you're like i'm just going to get them out of my life if it's someone that you think is worth trying to repair this relationship then you need to have some courage and 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 if you if if you've had an argument and then you need to apologize, then it's worth apologizing. Um, and just try and repair, repair the, the relationship with the people you love, if you can. Simon, you have said that at literally the perfect point in my life. Thank you so much. Oh. That was... I'm glad, I'm glad. Cosmic how that's happened. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to catching up with you and I'll hopefully we'll get a boogie on the dance floor whenever things return. But yes. I'm I'm sure they will return. Yes, for sure. Yeah, we'll be back dancing together soon, Jordy. Thank you so much for having me on your afternoon delight. It was such a perfect way to end this episode. I told Simon when we finished that I've had a, a couple of difficult weeks sort of reevaluating situations I was put in that I didn't really like. And I'm actually going to buy that book that he was suggesting because I think that's really... Um, Again, what I said at the beginning of the episode, you know, I am a book nerd and all these sort of things really fascinate me, especially psychology. So I am definitely going to look into that. And I'd kind of said to him, well, you know, your your timing is so accurate for this because I literally have had such a similar situation happening. And yeah, what a fantastic episode. And I told him when we got off, actually, that I'm going on a date with someone on Sunday who's absolutely amazing. He's, I've known him for a couple of years, but... He's so lovely, and I very much was like, oh, like, you want to go to date with me? Okay, didn't think you fancied me. Um, and they are um, into sort of being polyamorous. And I thought to myself, oh, okay. And I'd mentioned me and Simon were doing this interview, and I was like, oh, 
I'm not really sure if I could do that. I've never considered that. But I'll be honest, like after this interview, I'm actually open-minded now more than I would have before. I think the unfortunate thing for me from this episode was that I had a, such an unfortunate situation with my first relationship that I had suggested a sort of polyamorous or non-monogamous, as Simon's actually said, I prefer that actually, non-monogamous relationship, and he didn't want to. And I think I then convinced myself that all men or non-binary men or people rather actually would do that to me and I don't think they all will and that's the lesson for me this week so Simon I know you'll be listening probably you and Sergio or you yourself because you get a bit anxious listening to yourself or watching yourself thank you so much for helping me with that because you honestly came at the right time in my life and that's not a pun <laughs> that's a genuine a genuine comment. Thank you so much. And you're just honestly incredible. And I hope one day that when things return, we can maybe like try DJing together because I would absolutely love that. I've loved your nights so much. I'd have a lot of uh, anxiety. I'd think, fuck, am I going to be this? Because Simon doing this, always going to be watching me. I better keep on good form. But I just won't, we'll just, we'll cap my tab on the bar. That'll keep me on the straight and narrow. And that's the only time I've ever been straight in my life. Thank you so much to Simon. Um, please do give him a follow on his um, social media as he mentioned and also give this podcast a subscribe if you're enjoying listening to these guests I will be back next week we're doing something a bit different next week that we're going to have another drag queen um, talking who's also a member of the trans community which I think is very important and we're going to have a dietitian talking about healthy mind healthy body and the ways in which the pandemic has affected people's mindsets and um, weight and ways to combat that if they're maybe going through a bit of a shitty time with dietetics in detail. It's going to be such an interesting week. So I'm going to sign out for the evening. I hope you all have an incredible weekend. I hope Sunday's been good to you. I'll probably be hungover while you're listening to this, recovering from my birthday. But as I tell myself when I'm hungover and I tell you every episode, stay safe and remember to breathe. Afternoon delight. Real people, real stories, a local podcast.